Hello and welcome to this edition of the Modern Times Podcast, Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Afternoon. Another interesting week or two in politics since our, in politics since our last podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Michael Cohn testimony. Um, and then we're going to jump to Jared Kushner and his security clearance. Um, the Korea summit, the North Korea summit that Trump had in Hanoi, Vietnam this past week. Um, and uh, then we're going to jump over to Jeffrey Epstein, if those of you who understand who he is, and we'll get into that later. And then we're just going to talk a little bit about the uh, Democratic and the we're talking the party here, um, their muscle flexing that's going on in the House of Representatives. Uh, Karen, let's jump right in. Um the biggest news, um, definitely, of the past week, and if you listen to Elijah Cummings at the end of uh, the day on Wednesday, he said maybe the most important day that is even going to be thought about and talked about 200 years from now, um, but it was Michael Cohen going and testifying to the Oversight Committee uh, in the House of Representatives about um, the crimes that he uh, says that he is, uh, uh, we know he's pled guilty, um, but that he said were somewhat directed and handled by Donald Trump, a lot of different things, the Russian deal, um, maybe whether uh, Roger Stone really knew about WikiLeaks or not, but a lot of stuff that hit the fan, um, you know, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, your first takes, your feelings about um, his testimony and, and, and what it does to the national discourse on Donald Trump. Well, <clears throat> Excuse me out there, everybody, and John, my voice is a little bit off from sinuses and other fun uh, early pre-spring stuff. You sound great to um, us, Karen. Well, well, thank you. Um, look, let's, let's just put this on the table, first of all. Michael Cohen is a sleazebag, all right? We saw him prostitute himself for Trump during the campaign, say terrible things. He threatened people. He's not a good person, which no wonder why. Donald Trump wanted him, because if you're going to work with Trump, you've got lots of problems to begin with. That being said, I think we also saw a man who has realized the hard way, given he's going to prison very soon, that he sold his soul for this monster and feels badly for it and wants on some level to make amends. I didn't know what to expect with Cohen, given, again, his bad reputation and general demeanor. But I have to say, John, I was surprised at how well and thoughtful he came off. And there was a, a moment, I mean, look, he already told most of us, except for Trump's face, what we already know. Donald Trump is a profoundly bad person. He's a racist. He's a pathological liar. He's a complete nutter scumbag who's cheated on his wives. And although I guess Cohen knocked down rumors that he might have hit Melania Trump uh, and anything about the quote-unquote infamous uh, P-tape, which, you know, I'm not sure I ever want to see or know about. That's the stuff of nightmares. But, and, of course, he did not discuss any alleged uh, collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian officials as he did say that the Mueller team is looking at that. But he said something that I thought was pretty striking. And he told Republicans, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, the GOP really is the best you can do. 
You don't have anybody on there who is trained enough or smart enough, albeit I'll give credit to Justin Amash, the Republican from, and I believe it's the if I got that wrong, I'm sorry, who tends to be a guy who thinks for himself and is not in the Trump fan club, still very conservative, no question about it, and that's not good or bad, that's just what it is, who did ask some strong questions about what he really knew, um, you know, he told these Republicans, people like Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, who I, you know, to their respective districts in uh, Ohio and North Carolina, really? So this, again, is this the best you all can do? But he told these guys, you know, I was like you at one time. I was all in for Donald Trump, and it's destroyed me. You better think about what you're doing, right? Because yeah. you're going to be next. You're going to lose your souls next. Yeah, and you know, and, and, and you know, the yeah, exact really, quote. Really, I just—it was the exact quote I want to throw out there because uh, I had just happened to be pulling it up when, we, when you were talking about this. But what he said is, "I can only warn people." Um, and uh, the more people that follow Mr. Trump as I did blindly are going to suffer the same consequences that I am suffering. Absolutely. Look, Rick Wilson, the noted GOP strategist, although he's not really with the GOP much more in these days, he has a book, and I've quoted it before, Everything Trump Touches Dies, or hashtag ETDD. And, you know, he's exactly right. Everything that this creep uh, is around, eventually he destroys, because that is simply his nature. Uh, Michael Cohen is learning that the hard way. And again, look, he lied. He lied to federal officials. He's paying a price, as he should. But again, you have to admire that on some level he is trying to warn people. Now, is that going to change one single Trump supporter's mind? No. But I think what this does, to some degree, it's now, look, Democrats and people who don't like Trump, this is only going to reinforce what they already believe. Mm-hmm. But then you have that group of independents, most of whom are not fond of Trump, that might have pulled the lever for him, but don't like him. But it, it's probably going to raise doubts in their mind about this guy next year. You know, Do I really want to vote for him again? I don't think so. Um, you know, just again, because he's such a sleazebag. So, it's I, again, we didn't learn any grand revelations about you know, in terms of Trump truly violating the Constitution, although it's it's obvious one thing Cohen did mention, that Trump wrote checks to him when he said he didn't in 2017 when Trump was installed into the Oval Office. So we got yet, yet another of Trump's, oh, I don't know, what is it, 1.6 billion lives now since taking the office? Um, and that, that it was some pretty strong evidence right there. And he has, as they say, he brought receipts. He's got photocopies of these checks. So, again, he just proves Trump to be the pathological liar. We already know he is. Right. Yeah, you know, and what kind of stood out to me, I think, was all of the credibility bashing with no uh, backing it up to say, well, you're a liar, you've pled guilty. And then they didn't hammer him on how he was lying specifically. They would just say, well, Mm -hmm. you've pled guilty. So you're obviously a liar, um, and there wasn't any um, questioning. As you mentioned, there was one Republican who really at least got somewhat into it, but it was really basically like two minutes. Um, and, and you know, it, it just 
goes to the fact that it just seems like there's no defense because there isn't one. Um, most of these things probably did happen. And the more any Republican would go down the rabbit hole, then the more they're going to have to follow it up with some sort of action. And and the other thing was that there was two things that I think kind of stood out from his testimony and maybe some new things that we had learned um, was how he had stated that uh, White House counsel um, or Trump's personal attorneys, where, whenever you want to, you know, folks working in the White House at the time, Jay Sekulow, and he mentioned somebody else, actually reviewed the testimony that he gave to Congress, which he is now saying that he lied um, about. Um, that was something that was new um, that kind of brings, um, you know, a new a new element to this whole story because it could be further obstruction of justice. Um, and also the um, the discussion that supposedly he overheard between Roger Stone and Donald Trump talking about how they knew WikiLeaks was going to release something the next day. Those two things seemed even more so to raise the specter of, 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 of what his testimony could be and what he's maybe saying behind closed doors to the Intelligence Committee, who has also been talking about, you know, who else they're going to bring. And the last thing before I give you back um, the floor here is – um, I think, you know, uh, you had uh, Rashida Tlaib and um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm sorry. That's why everybody says AOC, um, <laughs> because it's a tongue twister a little bit. And, um, uh, and, and, and some others really set up um, what else they're going to go after. I know that the, talking about his tax returns, um, I forget the congressman's name off the top of my head now, but he's also on the Ways and Means Committee um, talking about how he wanted to hear about that so we can bring that back to his committee. It does seem like you see that there's a fabric of information being um, developed here. So I think new information, um, you know, maybe some possible further, um, uh, you know, damaging testimony, you know, really seemed impressive. I know we're going to talk about Democratic muscle flexing, but, uh, you know, later in the podcast, but there did seem to be that, that it seems like a well-rounded effort. Um, and, uh, you know, what, where we're going to go with this, nobody knows. I know that, you know, the intelligence committee is still out there. It, the talk is Felix Sater comes in to speak to them next, which could open up a whole nother can of worms, but, um, it did seem like a credible, um, uh, and that in a credible attempt at actual transparency and oversight by the committee yesterday, at least from the democratic side, you have to give it to them, um, for the way that they handle it, I think. Right, and it's interesting this morning Trump went on one of his baby rants on Twitter, uh, you know, calling and going back to crooked Hillary. Right. Man, if we all got a dollar for every time he's uttered that. Uh, and then bashing Cohen about no collusion, no collusion. But what that you kind of sense, number one, just the extraordinarily unprofessional and unpresidential way in which this man acts. But you also sense somebody who seems scared uh, to some degree. And... And, you know, I think, well, and we'll talk about Korea, but I think to some degree another reason why he chokes so badly like a dog, as he likes to say. No offense to dogs. <laughs> They're much better creatures than Trump could ever yeah. hope to be. Yeah, my dogs are um, taking I offense think, right uh, now. Yeah, my dog Poppy wholeheartedly agrees. <laughs> you know, I think that Cohen's testimony on Wednesday really rattled him. Uh, I think he knew it was hitting hard, and it, you know, Trump is, uh, you know, easy to trick, easy to taunt, as they say from the uh, movie 300. Um you know, I just, there's a great column out today by Jack Holmes, who's kind of a centrist columnist for Esquire magazine, very good writer. And, you know, to me, it, 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 it's, he writes about the Cohen testimony amongst other of Trump's disasters this week, but he, 
he ends with this paragraph about Trump, what makes this all so dangerous. And another thing Michael Cohen said, he was concerned that if Trump does, either he is somehow forced to resign between now and 2020, or he gets impeached by the House, the Senate probably won't convict and remove him, or he loses in 2020, that he will not willingly and peacefully allow the transition of power, which is something other, you know, not political fixers like Cohen, but political analysts and others have been saying the concerns of Trump because he so disregards democracy in this country that he will not leave willingly. Um, but, you know, Holmes has this paragraph at the end of his column. There is nothing he won't do. Now, that staying out of jail might mean staying in office, and we're probably about to find out just what that entails. Yeah, you know, I mean... That's a, that's a bone-chilling... You know, I've seen those sorts of things already. And, and, you know, it's like the same thing that we've been talking about, at least as far as my opinion is, is, you know, let's cross that bridge when we hopefully come to it. At least that means that the end is, you know, might be near. But, you know, I just can't see that, you know, anybody surviving that or being able to do that. It would be another black mark on the United States history, I think, um, which, you know, he's probably created several at this point. But um, it, it just... You know, just to go and, and maybe to see, you know, what how that judgment might get there. Um, I thought it was interesting that what what Trump had said about Cohen's testimony was he gave him credit because he, he he almost justified Cohen and gave him more credibility by saying, well, he didn't lie when he had the opportunity to lie about uh, collusion. At least he told the truth about that. So even, you know, even in his, you know, trying to trash Cohen when he was in um, Vietnam, um, or, you know, Trump specifically I'm referring to here, um, he, he, he set him up and gave him some credibility because, you know, Cohen did say, I don't know directly 100% that there's evidence of collusion, although I suspect that it's there. Um, and Trump gave him that kind of, uh, you know, that bounce of credibility, which just shows his inability, I think, to really, you know, pull anything off besides – you know, some sort of New York, uh, you know, real estate deal, which we all know are shady and, uh, you know, in the first place. So um, never should have been president. Um, and, and I think that just shows itself every day. And I just think, you know, we have to keep our democratic processes alive and we'll be rid of the virus um, at some point. I, you know, I hope you're right. But, and I, you know, you probably are. But again, and I'll just go back one more thing to Holmes' column, just said, you know, all the, you know, the vice is tightening on Trump, you know, in terms of, of having to finally be held accountable. And, you know, if he writes, there's no bottom, there's no end to what this grotesque creature embodying all the worst instincts of the American psyche might do. He has corrupted the office, ransacked the operating norms that allow a healthy democracy to function and convinced his allies in Congress to abandon their role as a co-equal branch of government. And when we saw that with Republicans like Jim Jordan mm-hmm. and Paul Gosser, I mean, again, thanks for nothing, you know, to that Arizona district, yeah, man, un- for putting un- that guy back in office. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's Gosar, and, and he's from Arizona. Embarrassment after embarrassment on their part. I'm not saying the Democrats necessarily hit as hard as they could have. Again, you, you rightfully credited Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then I think the name of the gentleman, who's, he has an Indian name, Krishmati. I'm sorry if I butcher that. He asked specifically about financial questions. And I will say Elijah Cummings, you know, handled the hearing as well as he could and did have a very emotional, eloquent speech at the end of, you know, look, we're doing this to find out what's going on. 
and it's not going to be pretty. And, you know, but again, I I, know it's certainly I don't think all Democrats necessarily flex their muscles or showed, you know, really hit more to the heart of of why Trump is such an illegitimate president. Um, But they still came off better than Republicans, you know, running interference for Trump. And they they basically failed. Yeah. Uh, Especially one other thing I want to mention about that whole show was, of course, when Cohen was talking about Trump's racist attitudes, which have been obvious for years. Uh-huh. At one point, Mark Meadows had one of the HUD administrators who right. has been a vocal Trump supporter, Lynn Patton, who is African-American, come and sit down behind him during mid-hearing. And, I, you know, of course, you probably heard some of the feedback from pundits where they were just sort of shocked by that. And Tlaib said something specifically, and there was a dust-up over over whether she was calling Meadows a racist or not. Um, right, and it, it was just, just the whole thing seemed so very odd, and, you, Pat, and I felt badly for her. She looked really uncomfortable. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure she did not appreciate being, you know, whatever her you know, misguided support of Trump may be, I, you know, I'm sure she didn't really appreciate being used like this. It was, you know, again, just just bad moves all around from the GOP, never mind Matt Gates, the representative of Flora, who threatened Cohen oh, yeah. with a, a, a Twitter comment the day before the hearing. Right. And he tried to apparently get seated there. And a Cummings, to his credit, said, uh, no, yeah. you're not on this committee and you're not sitting here. Get lost. I Again, I just, it just, it, it breaks your heart or it does mine to see what's happened to the GOP over the years. This party used to have adults and principled people in it, whether you agreed with what they were doing. You know, it had presidents that had some integrity and decency, like Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, and dare I say it, even George W. Bush, and whose presidency was a train wreck. Um, You know, they had some humanity and some character. We have somebody now, and, and, you know, you had congressional people and senators who were willing to call them out when they were screwing up. You don't have that now, and that's not a good thing. It has nothing to do with the GOP. Frankly, I couldn't care less, but about that party disintegrating. But in the long run, it's bad for America. You know, if I had to put my, um, you know, on what we were talking about earlier about, you know, maybe Trump having to leave office or being indicted even after he does, I could see uh, Donald Trump living in another country and being the only, you know, president living in exile at some point just because Mm. um, he wants to escape that. Wouldn't surprise me. You know, I mean, but again, that's, you know, that's the way I see anything like that playing out. I don't see it being successful. Um, but, you know, moving from that, if we can move next to the next kind of strange item, which has come up and, and also um, with some of the interference and maybe where he might end up going, I think maybe we can kind of, you know, learn that a little bit about talking about Jared Kushner. Um, but um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the talk always, I think, was out there about his security clearance um, earlier in 2018 um, and, um, then, you know, Trump basically said, I didn't interfere at all. It's all been taken care of. And then the news has been coming out that, um, there was even letters written basically in opposition to this by John Kelly, former, uh, w- when he was chief of staff, White House counsel, uh, counsel Don McGahn. They both were, 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 were basically protesting, um, Trump's just, you know, uh, uh, open-handed, um, acceptance of, of, uh, Kushner and allowing him to have security clearance, regardless of, of, of what um, intelligence officials were saying. 
Um, and we don't really know, you know, any of the details, but it seems like it's going to be one of the next thing oversight looks into. Um, and it, you know, this might have real ramifications for the president and, and most uh, definitely probably for Jared Kushner. Right. I, you know, it, we've seen the reports where basically CIA officials and I, you know, I think that the Pentagon had expressed reservations about Kushner getting the top security clearance because he, A, was in debt and therefore susceptible to blackmail. Uh, and just there were other questions about whether this man was truly qualified to even be doing this job, which I think we've all seen so far he's not. Um, and it's just you have reports of foreign leaders, especially ones in, say, Saudi Arabia, seeing a, a dupe, somebody they could play. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I've talked about this before. We both have the murder of Jamal Khashoggi by officials connected to the Saudi government. There are still so many highly unsettling, unanswered questions as to whether Mohammed bin Sultan, the leader of that country, was signed off on Khashoggi being murdered, and just how much the Trump administration may have known about it ahead of time. Uh, specifically, Jared Kushner, because Kushner and, and bin Sultan had been talking before Khashoggi was murdered. Now, we don't really know what they're talking about, but we have seen reports based on an on analysis that bin Sultan complained to Kushner about Khashoggi. Uh, and again, you, you've seen how the Trump administration has been happy to sort of say, well, these are just bad people in Saudi Arabia that did this. You know, no big deal. Right. Uh, yeah, it is a big deal. And that, that's really one problem with Jared Kushner's yeah. role in this, you know, train recommended administration. He, and, again, he simply is way out of his depth when it comes to dealing with a Middle East peace plan or much of anything else. Now, I know he got some good publicity recently for criminal justice reform, although I, I'm sorry, you know, just call me a hardcore cynic. I'm truly curious how much the Trump administration actually had to do with anything meaningful from that. They just I finally put their weight behind little. things that had been around for quite some sorry? time. I said they just finally put their weight behind something that had been around for quite some time and really was yeah. a liberal issue. Um, and many people have said that 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 if Obama would have proposed it, it never would have gotten anywhere. And, and, and just to kind of, you know, piggyback on your point, um, the same thing that they were saying about Mohammed bin Salman um, is the same thing that it seemed like Trump said about, and we're going to get into North Korea next, but the same thing he said about um, Kim Jong-un and, um, and Otto Warmbier. You know, um, it just, it seems like, you know, he'll just say, well, they say they're not involved and, you know, it's a big country, a lot of people, it's lower than him and somebody did some bad stuff and, uh, these, these, these people shouldn't be held account. Um, well, you know, who else to not be hold accountable than the leader of the country? Uh, you know, Truman said buck stops here and maybe, you know, that's a good way to start. Right. It's, it's just, again, a Kushner is not the right person to be running any of this. And, and on another note, you're seeing the video being played, although the interview was, I think, about two or three months ago, of his wife, Ivanka Trump, and by Abby Huntsman, who, by all accounts, would be a friendly person, given John Huntsman's role in the Trump administration, right. uh, an ambassador to Russia. But, you know, Ivanka Trump basically lying flat out when asked about whether they've been granted any special favors for him to get a security clearance. When it's obvious now, based on what we've heard from John Kelly, the former chief of staff, and uh, Don McGahn, Trump's former attorney, 
that they both had serious reservations about Kushner getting this okay. And, of course, Citron ultimately is the one who ordered it. And, again, what a shocker. Donald Trump lied when flat-out asked by Maggie Haberman of The New York Times whether he had anything to do with it. Um, again, you know, it always makes me nervous, Democrat or Republican, if a president has family members working in critical critical positions, especially when they may not be qualified. And I I know we all hate the what about ism, but our, you know, we all know what would have happened if, say, President Hillary Clinton had told people at the beginning of her term, yeah, I want my daughter Chelsea handling all of this. There is no way in hell that the Republicans would have ever let that go. They would have screamed and yelled day and night, and for good reason, too, until Clinton, you know, withdrew that idea. Because, you know, whatever Chelsea Clinton's strengths may be, I don't want her handling foreign policy. She doesn't really have a background in that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's, you know, again, Trump well, cares, you know, about basically putting his family in there, but I don't think it's out of any real interest in their well-being. It's just because he assumes they're going to protect him when it comes down to it. So far, of course, Ivanka Trump has been uh, a nice little enabler of him and complicit in a lot of his bad behavior and, and policymaking, never mind Jared Kushner. Uh, I, I think it's great this is coming to light. And apparently now the House, you know, Democrats have been saying they want to talk to Kushner about this and perhaps subpoena some records. You know, we'll see how far they can get as I'm sure the Trump administration is going to fight this all the way, given, you know, what Kushner knows about some especially unsettling things that have occurred uh, over the last few years. So it's, but, you know, again, none of this is surprising. You know, I think what the, you know, the story that Ivanka and Jared are coming out with now, I think had been recently uh, reported is that, there is uh, they didn't know about the, you know, whose influence was used. They just knew that it happened. It's like, you know, the plausible deniability chain, a train never seems to ceases to stop running through Trump town. Um, it's 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 everybody's. I didn't know that. Or, oh, or, you know, you know, it's like no one seems to know anything. There's all these weird um, coincidences that happen, all these, um, you know, uh, uh blanket approvals for whomever um, and no one wants to share anything but it just goes back to you know Cohen saying what he said before it was all a marketing ploy and nobody ever wanted it he didn't he never wanted to be president in the first place um, and, and and unfortunately the country got duped to thinking that he did um, and and you know here we are um, uh, you know I think it it, it 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 goes right into our next topic I think here um, this Oh, this North Korea deal, all marketing, no substance, um, elevating the wrong things. Um, now, you know, um, Kim Jong-un has some face to save um, because now he looks like he's not getting things done, although he does have a win that he can put in his pocket, which has recently come out, um, which is that they're going to suspend uh, joint military operations and drills with South, South Korea, that is the United States is. Um, one of the um, um, the things that he that Trump acquiesced to in Singapore has now become official and permanent. Um, but you know, it seems like that whole uh, the the first summit, the second summit, um, all marketing ploys, and now they've even failed, uh, and now we're left with nothing. And um, you know, Trump just raising uh, Kim Jong Un's profile, and and maybe the chance 
for problems in the future. Um, it seems like you know a very risky gamble to take just because you want a Nobel Peace Prize, possibly. <laughs> Which I seriously doubt. And it, it, you know, on a minor aside, Trump had claimed that Shinzo Abe's administration of Japan had submitted him as a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, Abe people have kind of hedged on that, and it turns out, according to some reports, none of it was true. Uh, again, not, not a surprise given what a pathological liar Trump is. Uh, yeah, maybe and, and we should start calling uh, Trump. We, maybe we should start calling uh, Trump Tommy Flanagan instead. I don't know for anybody who remembers John Lovitz, the Saturday Night Live character of the pathological liar, but it does seem very true to home. And I'm sorry if I cut you off there, Karen. No, it's no problem because you're absolutely right. Um, look, the first summit last year was useless as well. Uh, nothing really came out of it except that yes, they, the Trump administration announced they were kind of pulling back on. The, North, the South Korea military exercises. And by the way, for them to do that now, what a slap in the face that is to Moon, the leader of South Korea, who really, you know, had been doing a lot of the heavy lifting uh-huh. on even making a summit between North Korea and the U.S. happen, and has been a, a, an honest broker in all of this. I, I can't even imagine right now what he must be thinking. Uh, like I think most first world leaders, they think Trump is a joke, albeit a dangerous one, and most are waiting him out, hope, hoping he's gone within the next year and a half. But again, nothing came from this, and and I I, I think that Trump's, I think that Michael Cohen's testimony probably really shook Trump up to where he couldn't focus very well. Not that he's capable of focusing on anything like an adult for very long, but. You know, he, he, he then made comments. There are two other things <clears throat> that have to be mentioned. Nothing got done from this. You know, North Korea wasn't going to ever give up its nuclear power. Uh, you know, and, and look, Trump is facing the same issue that previous presidents did before, except they were competent and stable and, and had the United States' best interests at heart, uh-huh. more or less. We know Trump doesn't have any of those things going for him, and he certainly doesn't have the United States' best interests at heart. Uh, this is just a stunt to make him look credible. And it's his jealousy, of course, of Barack Obama's Nobel Peace Prize. And I will say from 10 years ago when Obama was awarded, I didn't really feel that the former president deserved that. I understood what the Nobel Committee was doing, but I thought, hmm, I think he needs to work a little more for such an honor. But right. again, you know, it, this is just Trump is a million, jealous of Obama insanely because Obama is a man he will never be, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think another thing that came out of this, of course, when we saw Trump standing next to Kim, was his then disgraceful capitulation on the case of Otto Warmbier, who, as we know, the North Koreans held. Then Warmbier fell into a coma, from and which this day I'm not sure it's fully understood why. Well, uh, I think know, they know that it man. was, I think they know it was trauma. I think they know that. Yes, yes, thank you. And then, you know, he was, they they released him, and then he died not long after. Of course, Trump took all the credit for that, even though he had very little to do with it. Most of the heavy lifting, again, was done by Bill Richardson, the former New Mexico governor, who's had a long and laudable uh, reputation for getting uh, people freed from other countries. And I believe the name of the other gentleman who worked hard on this was Moss. And I may be messing that up, and I'm sorry about that. 
But and even Trump even had Wambier's parents at his uh, address to Congress last year, kind of using them as props. But he basically said, "I take Kim at his word that he didn't know anything about Otto, right, Otto right, Wambier, right. which it's never been proven that Kim didn't." And you know, it's funny, John. This is the same thing he said with his horrible knee pad performance in Helsinki last year right. with Vladimir Putin that he said with MBS with any other vile world leader, that I take him at his word that he didn't do anything. Uh And, you know, that's the only thing Trump can say, because, frankly, he's such a flat, one-dimensional creature. He isn't capable of any nuanced thought. But this is just spitting in the face of Wambier's parents and of of the memory of this young man. It is just, it is one of the just trillion vile things Trump has done since being installed as president. You know, he could have just either said, we don't really have strong evidence, or, uh, you know, I still feel the North Korean government, while I appreciate them letting Wambier go, still acted badly in all of this. But, of course, it just, this goes back to showing what a spineless coward Donald Trump is. He talks tough and calls Kim little rocket man, but the moment he stands near him, again, he's on his knees, begging for affection. And another thing we know that happened after Trump left, you know, North Vietnam looking like a buffoon. He goes right to Sean Hannity on Fox News because he's got to prostrate himself before his base because he knows how badly he screwed up. But he's got to keep that base in his corner or he's going to be in big trouble even more than he already is. But I, again, I can't even imagine what one bear's parents must be thinking right now. Well, I, you know, they I, have come out. They have come out, you know, ripping uh, um, Trump's statement. Um, you know, that is, um, uh, you know, an official uh, thing that is going on. They are no longer in the corner. I don't think you'll see them at another State of the Union. They um, they didn't take that very well. No, they didn't. And good for them for speaking out. Uh, you know, and the, the, the Wom Bears have, they have two other children. Again, you, you can't even imagine for any parent to lose their child uh, from health reasons or a, a, just an accident or even, you know, a, a political strategy, tragedy such as what Otto Wambier went through, you, you just, the, the anguish and the heartbreak they must live with every day and trying to carry on with their lives. And for the president, and I use that term loosely when it comes to Donald Trump, because he's not a legitimate one and he never will be. But for somebody who's the leader of your country to make these kind of horribly insensitive remarks after you then, you know, put your, you know, take your parents to, to Congress and, and highlight them in a speech I just, it's just, there's not even a full word to describe how despicable that action is. But it's it's par for the game for Donald Trump. It's par for the course. It's what he does. He just always capitulates and always stabs, you know, honest brokers in the back when it comes to pleasing people for whom, you know, most of us don't have any use. And, And Kim is a murderer. He had his uncle killed. He's he's running a country that is basically a full-on dictatorship, and he's just, as usual, like so many others, has just played Trump for the cheap kazoo that he is. Yeah, and you know, so I, this was just a, a cheap stunt that cost us millions that was not necessary. You know, I think you know, you know, Trump had some fundamental um, uh, errors in his logic, I think, in how he's able to get to Kim or how he was able to work a deal, um, and. From what I had seen through through the setup um, and then um, comments that were made during the summit, 
Um, the referral was that he can make North Korea a lot of mo- he'll make a lot of money, and that Donald Trump is still seeing everything with the eye of a real estate developer. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's spending his two to four years in office just trying to scout new development options from the perspective of being the president of the United States. Um, And I think that it's a fundamental flaw when he went to Kim and he had said plenty of times, Kim will make a lot of money. You know, he's right in between. Look at that location he's in. He's right in between China and South Korea. Uh, You got some great beaches. You know, you'll be able to do all these developments. And and I I think what he doesn't understand is, is that Kim Jong-un is the dictator of his country. He gets anything he wants. As you mentioned, he has people killed when he feels like it. He is the last word. He won't go to jail for it unless the the government falls. Um, There is no reason for him to be any richer. He runs the economy. Um, It's not like here where there's a Federal Reserve. Um, It's not like here where there's a Congress. It's not like here where there's secure businesses. This is he has what he wants. And there's no way that you're going to – I mean Trump can go there and say, hey, we're going to open up your country. You're going to make a lot of money. He doesn't need it. Uh, right now, his power is in, uh, is, is, is in keeping everyone else out. Because if that ever happens to that country, that means they want independent leaders. That means Kim is gone. There is no bribing him with more money because he has all of it in the country whenever he feels like it. And, 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 and you know, it's just a fundamental flaw in his uh, logic, I think, on how he could reach Kim and why the failure um, was on the wall. And no one, I don't think, is happy that that there's been a failure for, from Trump and his administration to denuclearize North Korea. But it, 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 I think it was obvious for most people that his approach and the way that you go about if you know, you're trying to make friends with Kim is not going to be the solution because his 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 only way to maintain his prestige, power, and wealth in that country is by keeping what he's got, and that includes these nuclear weapons at this point. Correct, and I mean, it, one other thing I just thought was well, it's not really funny, but of course, Trump Ironic. when he was you know bleeding on to his faithful prostitute Sean Hannity on Fox News. <laughs> Why shouldn't I like him? He likes me. So, you know, you idiot, this isn't junior high. We're not talking about leaders liking each other. It's especially when it's somebody as odious as Kim is. This has nothing to do with a popularity contest. We're talking about trying to keep a rogue nation in check, which is never easy, even when you have the most competent U.S. president involved, which Trump sure as hell isn't. Um. It's just, it, this is it with Trump. This is what some of these leaders know. Be nice to him, flatter him, he'll do whatever you want. Never mind the, the horrible ramifications for your own citizenry or even for this country. That's all that matters. So it's, it's just another, you know, massive failure for Donald Trump, who, by the way, I, another thing I thought was amusing, he tried to throw Mike Pompeo under the bus uh-huh. when you saw his press conference. And, you know, again, I have no use for Mike Pompeo, but you just wonder when he's finally going to wake up and realize how badly he's being played. Um, you know, who knows? I think, you know, he's already drank the Kool-Aid. He's, it's just a long, it's a long-term death, I think, is, is uh, you know, him and, and Mick Mulvaney and um, uh, the, uh, the spray-on hair guy, Stephen Miller. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think they're all in trouble when it comes to dealing with Tommy Flanagan, I mean, Donald Trump. 
anyway. Exactly. Um, uh, and again, Michael Cohen's telling you guys um, what's going to happen. It's going to be you next. Um, let's jump to something else that's going on in the Trump administration or roiling the Trump administration is uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And we'll let you set this one up and, and discuss it. Jeffrey Epstein is somebody who was sentenced to just 13 months in a county jail based on a deal with the federal government for sexually abusing many young girls. This is a guy, he was a money manager, multi-multi-millionaire, had a plane known infamously as the Lolita Express, uh, now, and had, but also socialized with Donald Trump, and in fairness, Bill Clinton, although it's... To, you know, to be fair to Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, there's there's no evidence at this point that either one, you know, sexually abused participated an in any of Epstein's uh, activities. And yes, correct. Okay. Other than they flew on his plane, but again, you know, this sleazy company that Trump, it's not surprising, and Clinton, you know, certainly as we know, should have known better, but he's had his share of bad behavior. He's in nicknamed the past, Slick Willie to the extent Trump has. Right, he's not nick- uh, nicknamed Slick Willie for nothing. Well, precisely. Um, and look, he got impeached, though. Again, I've said this a million times. When you impeach Trump, you can complain to me all you want about Bill Clinton. Uh, but at any rate, uh, there was a, a very sleazy deal that was done with Alexander Acosta, who's Trump's labor secretary, when he was a, a federal attorney. Um, that gave Epstein this sweetheart deal where he basically could be at his work all day before he had to go back to a jail in Florida, uh, and, you know, there are, the girls who were violated here are now talking. They're being public about this, about, the you know, the dozens of them whom Epstein violated. Uh, this also draws in one of Trump's biggest defenders right now, Alan Dershowitz, who may or may not have had some involvement with these girls. Uh, one of the yeah, and, and, should be mentioned, by the way, Dershowitz was an attorney of Epstein. Another one who was an attorney is, speaking of Bill Clinton, Kenneth Starr, mm-hmm. you know, the infamous prosecutor in, uh, you know, Clinton's impeachment case, who, of course, after he had, that all died down and, you know, Starr went to Baylor University and then he had to resign in disgrace because it was revealed that there was considerable sexual abuse going on. With the Baylor football team, Starr knew about it and didn't do a damn thing. Uh, and, you know, Starr continues to sit there and also be a prostitute for Trump, claiming he shouldn't be impeached for anything. You know, he's this is not a credible player. But again, isn't it hilarious that this so-called moralizer was happy to represent just an absolutely vile human being that Jeffrey Epstein is? I mean, the, the, what really you know, matters right now is how much Acosta really knew and why he let this deal go through in the first place when he shouldn't have. And there have been calls for Acosta to resign. I I frankly think, what has he even done as labor secretary that seems to be useful? I I can't see anything. Maybe you can. But this this is just another example of an extraordinarily powerful person who gets away with manipulating the legal system for his own ends and didn't really pay the price he should have. Um... It's uh, it's a pretty sick case. I, you know, I don't know where Epstein is right now. Hopefully, crawling under a rock and never coming out of there uh, from underneath it. But it's it's just another example of the you know this justice system in our country. It is not fair to everyone, and those with money and power can bend it to their will. Uh, at least you know you can only credit these young poor girls for speaking out. They're the real heroes in this. 
Uh, and hopefully that there is some comeuppance for Costa and maybe for Epstein, Dershowitz, and Starr as well. Uh, obviously something else that's probably going to hit, um, oversight, I think at some point, um, well, they'll be, um, discussing this, um, with Secretary Acosta at some point. Um, let's go, um, to our final, uh, topic here. Um, and we're, and like we said, we'll get back to Acosta, I'm sure in the future when he's back in the news again. Um, and, and, you know, that's probably unmistakable that it's going to happen. Um, but, um, there's, there was another vote this week. Um, Democrats voted, um, to, um, rescind the national emergency for the border wall. Um, there's been, um, you know, obviously the oversight, um, and intelligence committee hearings, um, uh, in the house. Um, and they're talking about, uh, you know, the green new deals actually has some, um, a momentum, although everyone kind of knows that it's just a, basically a policy statement at this point. There's no official um, legislation tied to it. Um, it's why it goes back and forth. But there's obviously, um, it seems like maybe we're seeing the rise again of the legislative branch and definitely um, from um, the uh, Democrats. Right. You know, and again, it's interesting the Green New Deal, as, as one CNN analyst says, it fits perfectly on a bumper sticker. Um, you know, it's an extremely ambitious plan. It would want the government to take a much stronger position on cutting carbon emissions, uh, working with family farmers to retrofill all their buildings. It's a 14, you know, page resolution. It covers renewable energy, including being 100% of power demands in the U.S. through renewables such as solar, wind, etc. Having smart grid type of buildings. Um, by upgrading buildings, uh, changing how we handle transportation with more public type of solutions, such as high-speed rail, then more low-tech solutions, such as, you know, removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere by, say, just planting a lot of trees. Trees are the lungs of the planet. That's why, you know, we get worried about, say, the rainforest in Brazil, given its importance in maintaining our ecosystem. Uh, perhaps working to change how livestock is handled, uh, as we know, uh, you know, the number of cows all over the world does play a role in climate change. Um, <clears throat> in fact, according to one CNN report, beef is responsible, in other words, how it's produced or how it's, you know, comes to our table for about 41% of livestock greenhouse gas emissions. That's why there has been, you know, such a, a support for maybe more ecologically Raised cattle, you know, in terms of how they are turned into candidly hamburger, you know, it's a little better for the planet. Um, yeah, well, cow farts are cow farts, I think. We... Yes, cow farts. I mean, just various types of policies. All it, it, these, and There's nothing new here. These types of things have been proposed for decades. We might remember former vice president, before he was in that role, Al Gore wrote a book called Earth in the Balance, making these types of proposals, saying, look, we've just really got to change certain things in the way we live because they're not good for the earth. Now, he was widely ridiculed for that. And, uh, you know, many people were skeptical, myself among them back in the day. But there's no question as we see our ice sheets melting, as we see other things coming to, to pass that are not good, climate change, you know, people forget this is a reason, it's one of the reasons why 
Syria is a mess because climate change has affected how farmers can live there. Believe it or not, um, you know, we've seen where I live in California, horrendous forest fires on a scale that didn't happen before. There are, just, there are a lot of disturbing forces in our environment. I, I think while this could win a lot of Democratic support in the House, I don't know where it's going to go in the Senate. Uh, you know, even if, even if both houses pass it, you know, Donald Trump doesn't have the foresight to sign this. That said, even if it doesn't happen right now, if we have a different president in 2021, God willing, uh, and, you know, hopefully voters wake up to that, although most have, you could have a Democratic president want to say, or even if I suppose we had a rational Republican say, it's time we really start tackling the climate change not only through the Green Deal, but also through having businesses get on more board. You know, honestly, I think that when Republicans proposed a carbon tax, that was a much smarter idea than, say, cap and trade. Um, So it's it's an ambitious thing, but I think it shows a Democratic Congress saying, look, we're going to plow ahead with this, uh, you know, no bad pun intended, although we realize, it, you know, the 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 real way it's implemented, that's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to necessarily fix every environmental problem we've got. Um, but it would take a lot of stakeholders getting involved. And, you know, I do think you're going to have a certain percentage of rural America not be on board with this for some reasons that might be legitimate. Or even urban America, perhaps, perhaps not necessarily willing to, you know, jump on board with everything either. Look, I will say living in California, you know, our new governor, Gavin Newsom, has put a stop to a high-speed rail project because the cost of it is ballooned to $77 billion, and there are a lot of problems with it. Um, but I, I think it just it shows, you know, it shows a very different Democratic Party than we've seen in some time between that and them passing legislation to tell Trump, you know, your wall is ridiculous, your national emergency is ridiculous. Now, again, are they going to get the Senate to be on board with that? I probably not, given that the Senate's in GOP hands, although you've heard Republican senators and some lawmakers say, we don't want a Democratic president being able just to declare a national emergency for things we're not fond of, Mm. like a Green New Deal, like health care for all, for example. So that that they're showing this kind of muscle is, you know, it, on some level, it's 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 a huge change from what we've seen. But that's what happens when a different political party wins a house, a branch of Congress. They're going to start, you know, they're going to start making plans. Does it mean they're all going to become a reality? No. Yeah, you know, I I I think the the biggest disconnect I think with most most of the uninformed masses, um, and I think that's you know most people who are, who are just on Facebook every day. Um, I, I just don't think they understand even that the Green New Deal isn't anything specific, that it's just a set of policy guidelines. And I don't even know why it's being talked about as being something that's voted on. Um, even the New Deal, the original New Deal, was a basically a political argument. And then there was specifics that were brought up that would, you know, uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority, um, what happened in the second New Deal, which is basically Social Security and the WPA, um, you know, those things happened after. Um, and, you know, 
the, that was the actual uh, legislation that was going through Congress. Um, and what was happening and what the New Deal was had nothing to do with those things. Um, and I think the same thing happens with, with the Green New Deal. I mean, it's an idea that we have to get there. My, my you know, my thoughts on it, you know, the, the Republicans trying to, you know, attach it to, uh, hey, they're trying to take your hamburgers and your steak away, I think is a winning argument for them. You know, most people don't want to do that. Um, we know where I think we are with, you know, with cattle um, and and. Yeah, a lot of a lot of cow gas um, makes greenhouse gas emissions, but it's really um, the vehicles and the coal burning. And it's also um, if you don't have as many, say everyone goes vegetarian, then you don't have natural fertilizer to put on your vegetables anymore. And you're going to have to deal with petrochemicals for that anyway. So, you know, I, I think the idea is is and, and the goals set by the Green New Deal are, are, are good and valid. And that on itself, they they deserve just the idea that we have to do something large and big. And I think that's really what it is. And um, anybody, you know, taking it any further and saying that there's anything that's that's actual um, a policy that comes out of it is, is off base. And, and, you know, it really is specific acts, specific laws that are going to have to be passed beyond that. Um, basically, policy statement is where it would be. Um, and the last thing, you know, just about the, you know, the muscle um, uh, flexing, um, we know if there's ever, ever been a, an administration that probably needs to have oversight, it's it's uh, the Trump administration. And so, you know, it, you know, I don't think, you know, it's it's not muscle, you know, muscle flexing as as much as I think it is like we had talked about not abandoning your duty um, for party. And, um, you know, you just always hope that, you know, and, you know, as much as. I think right now you can see that that there is a overwhelming leaning. I think to most of the country to to uh, Democrats right now, just because it's like the lesser of two evils. You do hope that if push comes to shove, they make those same decisions. If there's a uh, Democratic president in the White House, and any uh, conservative or Republican that wants to compare the way um, Democrats were in uh, from 2012, um, I mean from 2008 to uh, 2010. Um, to to what happened with um, uh, Trump in uh, 2016 and 2018, I think that's completely off base. It does seem that there was there's that lockstep feeling in what Trump had tried to push, which wasn't really there um, in you know 2008 to 2010. Um, and so I just think it's completely disingenuous and 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 you know. Uh, and, and and deceptive to say that it, it it everybody does it and when the other party's in power that's the way that it is. Um, I, I I you know personally don't see that we've seen anything like what happened in uh, 2016 to 2018. Right. I you know again I it's just interesting for some Republicans the ones who might have some principles like say Justin Amash or Will Hurt of Texas and a few others who have taken a stand against. You know, Trump getting away, you know, doing some of this crap. And, you know, you wish there were more like them in that party. And again, they, some Republicans, even the ones who are more, uh, you know, supportive of Trump, have said, we really have to watch this because we're going to have a Democratic president in the near future. We're sure as hell not going to like what he or she does. Um, so this is just, this is something that I think is testing the GOP. And, you know, in, in a lot of these gerrymandered districts, it may not matter, but if they're in swing districts or if they're, Say a Republican senator up for re-election next year, like oh I don't know Susan Collins of Maine, Cory Gardner of Colorado, and he is the most vulnerable senator now, uh-huh. uh, or even Johnny Ernst of, of Iowa. 
Uh, you know, they're going to have to answer to some voters who don't like Donald Trump and really would like them to be more of a check on his powers. So it's it's just, it's going to get very interesting between now and, and Election Day next year. Karen, again, a big week. Um, I'm sure we have more big weeks ahead of us. Uh, what's going to go on, I think, next week with, with Michael Cohen is going to be just as interesting. Um, whatever kind of pushback it happens, and I'm, I'm just glad that uh, um, I have you to talk about uh, all of this with, and I'm sure our, our, you know, our listeners feel the same way. Karen, I can't thank you enough for spending another hour talking politics. Well, you're welcome. Um, you know, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, and I really uh, want to thank all the listeners out there for their support. Well, thank you again, Karen. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see thank you next time.